Once again, my name is uh, Stuart Mazell. if you came in a little bit later. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. It's great to see you guys here. Thank you for those of you who are joining us online. We hope for those of you who are joining us online and don't have a church that you're attending regularly that soon you will be able to come here in person and, and be a part of our church. Hey, today we are starting a new series. Uh, we are starting a series called Tell Me Something Good. And, and yes, if you got a song going through your head, that was going through my head too when we came up with this title. Uh, but we're going to be looking at several passages in the scriptures that give us good news. Good news, because there's plenty of bad news as we'll talk about in just a moment. Sometimes we need to hear something good. So today we're going to hear something good from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And here's what that passage says. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we need you. Um, it is easy to read words, but we need more than just reading or hearing words. We need you to illumine our hearts and our minds. We need you to show us the good news, to allow us to really let it settle into our hearts and become part of our DNA. We need you to open up our ears to be able to really hear. So would you do that for me? For all those who are here today, for those who are listening online, that every single one of us would not be able to go through this service without knowing that you are at work right now in our hearts and minds and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Everywhere you look, there's bad news, right? Just this past week, just this past week, I've been checking out the news to see, like, what, what kind of news is going to happen on a week where I'm trying to talk about good news? And here's what I picked up from starting from January 1st till today. Magnitude 7.5 earthquake in Japan killing at least 100 people and 100,000 people ordered to evacuate. And then a Japanese Coast Guard plane trying to bring supplies to help collides with a jet at the Tokyo airport and at least five people are confirmed dead. 
A South Korean political leader was stabbed in the neck by someone asking for his autograph. Suicide bomb attacks in Iran killed at least 89 people and wounded over 100. And there was yet another school shooting here in America, in Perry, Iowa. And then, of course, there's the ongoing war between Israel and Hamas, the ongoing war between Russia and Ukraine. There's the ongoing war in Sudan, where there are murders and rapes and hangings being reported. And even when all that isn't going on, it always seems like there's some institution where we're uncovering corruption, scandals of various kinds, political unrest. And oh yeah, did I mention that this is an election year? And whenever it's an election year, you know some insane things are going to happen. We need some good news. After a week like that, We really need to hear some good news. And I have got some great news for you. In fact, it's not mine. It's God's good news. And you want to know what it says? Jesus is for sinners. Jesus is for sinners. Now, for some of you, you're like, duh, of course he is. But then for some of you, you're thinking, wait a second, that can't be right. Jesus is, you know, the head of a religion. He can't be for sinners. That can't be right, Stuart. Well, just hold off any judgment that you have, and let's look at this passage together. First of all, in Matthew uh, 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, in Matthew's house, behold, many tax collectors, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Now let's take a look at this for a moment. First of all, Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And while, you know, tax collectors today don't have a great reputation, they had even worse reputation in those days. You see, during this time, the Roman Empire, they placed oppressive taxes on the Jews. Oppressive. And then many tax collectors were known for collecting more than their share so that they could pocket some of it. And Jews who were tax collectors were seen as traitors because they were collaborating with the enemy, with the Romans. And they were considered thieves and liars even if they weren't. Jewish tax collectors were often ostracized from their community. They were pariahs. They were hated and shunned. And so here we have Matthew doing his duty collecting taxes. Whether he was above board or not, we don't know. But we do know this. Jesus came up to him and said, follow me. Come be a part of my crew. And he did. And then he goes to Matthew's house, and Matthew throws a party. He has a feast, and he invites his friends. And who are his friends? Tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, because everybody else, all the religious people, don't want to have anything to do with him. Right? 
And so here's Jesus, this religious leader, sitting down to eat with a bunch of hated people, sinners, tax collectors. Who knows what kind of things the people in that room had been doing. So Jesus, the righteous, holy Son of God, calls this bad person to be a part of his crew, and then he spends time with a bunch of other bad people, has a meal with them, enjoys it, and that's when the Pharisees come in. Now, if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they took a look at what was going on, and they said to his disciples, verse 11, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, See, this is what religionists do, okay? They look at other people, and they look down their noses at them. They look at other people, and they judge and criticize. They look at other people and say, I'm better than them because I'm towing the religious line, and they're not. As an aside, for those of us who have been Christians for a while, and I know that's most of us in the room, it is so easy to fall into this trap. So terribly easy. We always have to be on guard against this. Because even, when, even if we are the one who we f- have fallen far short and we knew it and we came to Jesus knowing that I have nothing to bring except for my sin and receive nothing from you except for everything to bring me to you, somewhere along the line we start thinking, I'm better than those folks out there. You know, the people who do the bad things. I don't do bad things, but they do, and somehow I'm better. We, it's, the, it's just the temptation of our flesh. It is the temptation that we all have to face. And so, in a way, I'm not blaming the Pharisees, because you know what? We all do this. We all tend to look down our noses at other people. We all tend to look at other people and criticize them because they're not as moral as we are. We all tend to look at someone else and say, eh, you know, they're not living a good a life as they should. They're not like me, of course. I'm so good. We're all tempted to that. So let's be on guard for that. But then let's also make sure that we hear the good news here, because after the Pharisees say this, Jesus, in verse 12 and following, he says... Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, look, now, and I know I can hear my wife's voice right now, because my wife, some of you know, she's a physician. And every time I've 
talked about this passage. She says, well, what about preventative care? And I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 you're, you're right, you're right. There is preventative care. Doctors do give that. But back in that day, there was no preventative care. Preventative care was just you were living, okay? You only went to the doctor when you were sick. Okay, so that's the, the, the context that we're looking at. But even the preventative care shows that we are prone to sickness, right? So we still have to be on guard even when we're doing preventative care because our bodies are prone to moving in that direction, to something that is bad for us. So we go to the doctor to keep us from being sick or to uh, heal us when we are sick. And Jesus is saying, look, these folks need help. These are the people. They know they are sinners. They know something is wrong with their lives. And I've come to call them to myself. As uh, Brennan Manning once said in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Jesus comes for sinners, for those as outcast as tax collectors and for those caught up in squalid choices and failed dreams. He comes for corporate executives, street people, superstars, farmers, hookers, addicts, IRS agents, AIDS victims, and even used car salesmen. Jesus not only talks with these people, but dines with them, fully aware that his table fellowship with sinners will raise the eyebrows of religious bureaucrats who hold up the robes and insignia of their authority to justify their condemnation of the truth and their rejection of the gospel of grace. Now, some of you who know a little bit about Brennan Manning, uh, there have been a few of you who have actually told me the first time you heard this guy speak or the first time you read a book by him, you thought he was a heretic because he emphasizes grace so much. So just in case you're in that camp, let's look at somebody who is in our camp, in the PCA, for example. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says this, time and again, it is the morally disgusting the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. Let me read that part again. It's not they just receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is, by his enemy's testimony, the friend of sinners. And then he's got this passage here, Luke 7, 34. Let's take a look at that just so you can see. <clears throat> Jesus is saying, hey, my enemies are saying this about me. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, Jesus wasn't a glutton, and Jesus wasn't a drunkard. But he owns this next part, a friend of sinners. Why? Because, yeah, you got the passage, uh, Luke 19.10. Jesus sums up his mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. 
Okay? Sometimes we forget this. Sometimes we think Jesus came to make my life better. No, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. If you were lost, then he came for you, yes, and that will make your life better. But Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the good news. That's what we celebrate. That's why Paul can sum up the whole of Christianity in this word, 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy. What's trustworthy? And it deserves full acceptance. What is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners, not good people. I know how we are, and I know how, like, you know, when we're talking about somebody and we think they're a good person, we're a a decent person, we say, oh, yeah, he's good people. He's good people. Let me me just tell you, if he's good people, Jesus didn't come for him. You hear me? I'm not trying to squash your, your thoughts about people. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. If a person is a good person, they don't need Jesus. Jesus came for bad people, for sinners, for people who have messed up royally. That's who Jesus came for. Not people who have it all together. Not people who have the highest moral standards. Not upstanding citizens. Bad people. Sinners. That's who Jesus came for. And I want you to hear this. This is good news to those of us who are sick of our sin. All who are sick of their sin, this is amazing news. This is the greatest news ever if you're sick of your sin. Now, I'll I'll grant, it may not be that great of a news to those who think they're not sinners. Well, that's all well and good that Jesus came to save sinners, but what about the rest of us good, upstanding folk? What's he going to do with us? Probably not good news if you've got that attitude. And it's not good news to those who think God grades on a curve, right? Well, you know, I may have a few faults, but at least I'm not a murderous, thieving pervert who eats babies for breakfast. That's got to earn me some brownie points with God, right? And it's probably not good news to all those who want to continue to wallow in their sin. Yeah, it's great that Jesus wants me to spend time with him, but, you know, and he wants to spend time with me, but if he thinks I'm going to stop doing the things I want to do, well, I'm going to have to pass. Probably not good news to those categories of people. But to all of us who are sick of our sin, are you sick of your sin? Have you come to a place where you're like, I wish I just wouldn't do that again. I just wouldn't say those words again. I just wouldn't have that attitude again. I just wish that I could go one day without having this eruption in my soul that leads me down bad paths. 
Have you come to that place? Have you come to the place where, like Mark Batterson says in his book, All In, sin always overpromises and undelivers. It always overpromises and it always undelivers. Nothing is more illogical than sin. It's the epitome of poor judgment. It's temporary insanity with eternal consequences. Have you reached the point where you can say amen to that? Where you can say, oh, you're right. My sin is so illogical. It just doesn't make sense. Why is it that someone would pursue something that they know has negative consequences for them? And yet we do it all the time, don't we? We do. It's, it doesn't make sense. It's insanity. And yet every one of us falls into this trap. Are you sick of your sin? And Jesus says, if you're sick of your sin, come to me. Have you come to the point where you're like Paul in Romans 7 when he says, I have the desire, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many of you have made uh, you know, New Year's resolutions? And how many of you have already failed to live up to those? God, we... We have the desire to do something that is good, but we lack the ability to carry it out in and of ourselves. And then he goes on to say, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Can I get a testimony of that? Any of us in that part, in in that situation where we go, I don't want to do these things, but I keep finding those words keep coming out of my mouth. Those thoughts keep going through my head. I find myself doing things that I really wish I wouldn't. Paul knew that. And that's why he went on to say, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it's through Jesus that we are changed that we're transformed, that He takes care of what really ails us. See, that's what this passage is really pointing us to, that Jesus is the great physician who is the cure for what truly ails us. He is the great physician, and He he doesn't just write us a prescription and say, okay, go to Walmart uh, pharmacy and get this filled. No, He is the prescription. He is the cure for what truly ails us. Let's take one more look at verses 12 and 13. When Jesus heard what the Pharisees were saying, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if you guys think that you don't need mercy, if you don't need grace, if you don't need forgiveness, if you don't need healing from the sin that's in your life, if you don't need that, I'm not for you. 
But if you need someone who is going to work in you, who is going to see the problem that you really have in the depths of your soul and say, I've got the cure for that. It's me. Stay with me. Be with me. And I will bring healing to your sin-sick soul. That's our Jesus. And so he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And and this is where people get messed up. Because sometimes people read this and they say, see, Jesus likes hanging out with sinners. He just, you know, just hangs out with them. He's just like, you know, hey, hey, sinner, what's up? And they, and you know, and that's all there is. But what you, what we don't, what we sometimes forget is that Jesus doesn't just hang out purposelessly, right? He doesn't just hang out with no purpose. No, he hangs out in order to help. I think one of the clearest uh, statements about this comes in a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Many of you in this church already know this book. For those of you who haven't read it, it is an amazing book, a great book. And here's what Rosaria Butterfield says in this book, summarizing this passage. Jesus dines with sinners not because sin is no big deal. Sin is a big deal. That's why Jesus came. Jesus dines with sinners not because he expects us to go on sinning. No, Jesus came to save us from our sin. Why would we want to continue on in it? Jesus dines with sinners not because he knows that some of us are just more prone to certain sins than others and he gives us a free pass when our inclinations lead us to sin. Jesus dines with sinners not because the Roman government made certain sins into a protected class of citizenship. The laws of the land do not nullify the laws of God. No, Jesus dines with sinners so that he can get close enough to touch us so that he can participate in the intimacy of table fellowship as a healer and a helper. I'm going to read that part again because that's good. Jesus dines with sinners so that he can get close enough to touch us, so that he can participate in the intimacy of table fellowship as a healer and a helper. Jesus comes to change us, to transform us, so that after we have dined with Jesus, we want Jesus more than the sin that beckons our fidelity. Are you so sick of your sin that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get rid of it? If you are, here's the good news. You don't do anything. Jesus does it all. He's the one who came down from heaven. He's the one who lived the perfect life for you. He's the one 
who took all of your sin upon himself at the cross and took the judgment, took the penalty, and broke the power of sin. And he's the one who rose from the dead for you so that you would have new life, so that you could say no to sin, so that you also could be gracious and compassionate and loving and merciful to other sinners because you know the one who has given you healing. I've used this illustration many, 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 many times, and I will continue to use it because I think it, I think it just connects. If you had a serious disease, cancer, or something along those lines, and everybody told you it's incurable, there's nothing you can do, it's going to kill you. And you had almost given up hope, but you heard about this one person, this one doctor, this one physician who says, I think, I think I've got the cure for you. And you go to that doctor and he gives you the treatment and you are healed completely, cancer free. Tell me, tell me that you wouldn't sing that doctor's praises. You would. You would. And not only would you sing that doctor's praises, you would invite other people and you say, look, I know someone, I know someone who can heal that cancer that you have. He healed me. He can heal you too. Believe it. Right? And that's our Jesus. He came for sinners, not good people. So folks, believe. This is your action point. And I know action points don't usually start with the word believe, but we got to start here. You can't do anything unless you believe this first. So believe. Believe the good news. Believe the good news that Jesus loves to show mercy to sinners. He loves it. That's what he came to do. That's his mission. He loves to show mercy. And if you still are like, I don't know about that, Stuart, look back at what he says. Verses 12 and 13. When Jesus heard what the Pharisees were saying, hey, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. And the God who desires mercy from us, mercy when we treat one another, is the same God who shows us mercy. He loves to show mercy. He delights to show mercy. Look, if you are a sinner, and this week you have fallen on your face and you're like, I can't even lift my face up because I'm so ashamed of what I've done. Hear the good news. And I'm going to read this and this will be our, our last point from uh, Dane Ortland again, gentle and lowly. Hear, hear what Jesus is like with you. Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. 
such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way a little boy reaches out to touch a slug for the first time. Face screwed up. Cautiously extending an arm. Giving a yelp of disgust upon contact. And then instantly withdrawing. We picture the risen Christ approaching us with a severe and sour disposition. And I love this next statement. This is why we need a Bible. Because our natural intuition can only give us a God like us. That's what we're like. But our God is not like us. Praise God that He isn't. No, the God revealed in the Scripture deconstructs our intuitive predilections and startles us with one whose infinitude of perfections is matched by his infinitude of gentleness. He's gentle with us sinners because he loves to show mercy. Do you need mercy today? Jesus loves to show you mercy. Do you need forgiveness today? Jesus loves to show forgiveness. Do you need grace today? Jesus loves to show grace. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. They're all liars. Jesus loves to show mercy and kindness and goodness to sinners because Jesus is for sinners. That's why he came. Remember that story I told you a little while ago about the doctor that if he cured your cancer, you would tell everybody about it? I bet if you got cancer again, you would go back to that doctor, wouldn't you? He'd be the first person you'd call. You would entrust your care to him because you knew he can take care of you the way you need to be taken care of. And that's what we need to do with Jesus. Entrust our care to him. So folks, let's entrust our ultimate care to the great physician Jesus and watch and see what he does with our sin. Man, that's good news. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, uh, would you please open our eyes to see just how great it is that you really do love to show us mercy, that you really are for sinners. And even as we partake in this, your supper, use it for your glory and for our good, that we would see in the bread and see in the cup that you really do show your love for us in being willing to die and rise from the dead so that we would have every spiritual blessing you have to give to us. Holy Spirit, show us the glory of Jesus. Amen.